I'm excited, uh, most importantly, um, that we have now entered, as we walk through the book of Genesis, we have now entered the man side of creation. And I am particularly excited to get here because there is so much beauty for us to be a part of God's order creation, but more specifically for us to be made in his image. Up to this point, we have seen that God has created everything, but he's done so in a distance. All right. So we see that God speaks to create and everything followed the same pattern. God and God said, and every time God said, it came to be. And so far we have seen God create light. He created the sun, the moon, the vegetation, the waters. And on the fifth day, he created the animals. All of this came with absolutely no struggle for God. There was no resistance for God. There was no effort on his part. But rather, God simply spoke. And by his speaking, these things came to be. Now, we do see, however, that this pattern changes when God comes to create man. See, in all these other situations, God speaks at a distance. And when God speaks at a distance and God said and whatever God said happens. But when God gets to man, he changes his pattern of creation. So now we understand that the theme has been since God creates everything and God has created everything. It is everything that then testifies of the glory of God. The rocks, the mountains, the skies, the stars, the sun, the moon, vegetation, the animals, the whole earth in its entirety testifies to us, as Romans tells us, that there is in fact a creator. Not only that, but there's a creator who through his creation has made it plain to all of humanity that I am responsible for creating. In fact, we learned in scripture that the only reason a person would deny that God is creator is not because there's no evidence, but because of the darkness of their own hearts. And so what we see today is that if all those things that God created and they weren't created in his image and they glorify him, then what we should see today is that we stand alone as being made in God's image. But see... Not, is, not only is that a wonderful blessing, but for us it carries a large amount of weight. Because knowing that we were alone created in God's image, that means we bear the weight of displaying God's glory more than anything else. In, in a way that the mountains can't, in a way that the seas can't, in a way that the animals can't, that the sun can't, the stars can't, the moon can't. They can't testify of the glory of God to the effect that we can. And so for this reason, I want us to be able to grasp today that it is incredibly blasphemous for us to callously say that anything else is responsible for our creation. It is incredibly blasphemous for us to say that we simply evolved throughout the annals of time from apes. Any animal or anything else fractures that special relationship that we have with our father. And not only will it fracture that, but to say that we evolved from anything else except that God created us in his image undermines the redemptive work of Jesus Christ who reconciled us back into relationship with our creator. 
And so what we want to join in today is still in the book of Genesis, starting at verse 21, 26 of chapter one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. <clears throat> and then we jump down to Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Amen. So here we have the accounts, the accounts of God's creation of man. Now, I say accounts because if you read here, it's telling us two different stories of how God created man. In the first one, it says God God speaks to say, I, I want to create a man. And he creates man in his own image. And, 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 and man is formed in his likeness. But we see in chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God uniquely and actively formed and shaped man out of the dust. So he got down in the ground and he formed them himself. Now, I bet you've probably never noticed that there seems to be two different stories here. But they're really not two different stories. They're actually the same story. See, in the first section, we get the broad view of God's creation. But then in the, the seventh verse of chapter two, we see specifically what God did to create man in his image. And it says that he gets very up close and intimate and he forms them after his likeness and after his image. See, nevertheless, no matter what we see in chapter one or chapter two, there is one truth that stands. God created us in his image. We are created in the very image of God. When we look at verse 26, we see another unique combination of words. Let us make man in our image. Now, I specifically remember when I was in preschool, they always made me play in all the little plays because I was real cute as a child, you know. And so because I always ended up playing these characters, guess who I ended up playing in the creation story? I was God. And so because I was God, I distinctly remember in preschool saying, I'll make me a man. But I was wrong because that's not what the scripture actually says. How many of us have all heard, I'll make a man in my image? But when you look at the scripture, let us make man in our image. In fact, you can look at any translation. Every translation will tell you that it says, let us make man in our image. See, what is interesting about this is that the Old Testament believers would have been able to see this. They would have comprehended this. They would have seen that it says, let us make man in our image. But they would have lacked the spiritual revelation they needed to know exactly what was being referred to here. See, we have hindsight bias. Our hindsight is 2020. We know exactly what the reference is here. 
we can see that clearly this is a reference to the triunity of God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit. We know that that's a reference here. Now, they would have been veiled from seeing that truth. So even Moses, the Old Testament writer, as he's writing this, he understands that God is monotheistic. And he doesn't understand why God says, let us make man in our image. But he writes it. But they didn't understand the full grasp of that truth. Now, we know that because Hebrews tells us that. In Hebrews 11 and 13, it says, These all died in the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. See, the Old Testament saints did not have the full revelation of the Messiah that we have. And so all the things that happened to them, even from this verse, was pointing in the direction that there was a divine savior that was coming to take away the sins of the world. See, we, however, have the full revelation of knowledge attached to our redemption in Jesus Christ and our sanctification in the Holy Spirit. So we know that when we see let us do it, we are formed in the image of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so that brings us to our first point today. We reflect God. We reflect God. That's right. We are the very reflections of God. The Bible says that we are made in the image and the likeness of the triune God. Now, what does this mean? So we have addressed this before, but I think that we have another opportunity to go in depth here. Now, we know that image here cannot be the literal image of God because the Bible says that God is a spirit. And so because God is a spirit, he he can't possibly have a physical, what we would think, a physical image. So the question is, how can physical and material man be made in the image of the spiritual and material God? See, we, we just callously say, oh, yeah, we made an image of God. But have we ever wrestled with this idea? It's a great question. Obviously, it can't be referring to the fact that we are made in the very image of God. And I struggled with that as a child because I was thinking, boy, God's made some crazy images. So we can't be talking about the physical image of God, but rather it is a reference to the attributes of God. See, man was created with these God-giving, God-reflecting attributes such as the ability to think, the ability to feel and decide, the ability to reason. We are distinct in our ability to reason morally and immorally. See, animals don't have that ability. The, this ability only belongs to those of us who have been created in the image of God. That's it. We are created with the propensity and the capacity to love good and to abhor evil. And we were perfect reflections of the glory of God, but that image was marred and distorted by sin. Now, to many of us, this is a foreign concept because 
Some of us have been saved so long that we have forgotten all the little evils that were in us when we were reprobated reflections. We forget, however, that inasmuch as we are marred image bearers, so is everything that comes from us. See, when God created Adam and Adam distorted that image, then it is not only passed down to Adam's children, but it's passed down to all of creation. We all inherited the sin that was passed through the lineage and the generations of Adam. So we know this because the sin he conceived in the garden has been replicated in creation over and over and over and over again. We see it not only when Cain kills Abel, but we also see it when Seth is born. We see it when Seth is born because in Genesis 5, 3, it says that Seth was born in the image and the likeness of Adam. He was born in the image and the likeness of his father. Now, this is both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because his father was born in the likeness and image of God, which means that God's image is replicated in him. But it's a curse because the same sin nature that was in Adam was replicated in his son. And so on and so forth, even until it gets to every one of us. See, he was made in his image with the attributes of God. But he also received the sinful attributes that were in his father as well. And the Bible makes it clear that all of us are fighting this twofold war. This war to reflect the image of God in our lives and this war for sin to win out. Romans 5 and 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Drop down two verses in 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. See, because of Adam, we are all at war with these two images. We're at war with ourselves and we're at war with the image of Christ that is in us. And so when he talks about the likeness of Adam, that is a reference to our sinful flesh. Our sinful flesh. It wants to win out in our lives. And the Bible makes it clear this is a fight that we will fight for the entirety of our lives. Romans 7, 21. It's Paul writing. So I found it to be a law. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Listen. If you are a believer in this room and you are not in a fight, you've already lost the fight. Every one of us should be raging this, waging this war every morning we get up because every morning we get up, flesh wants to win. And there are always these various circumstances that we have to either reflect the image of God in our lives or be us.
And because we have the Holy Spirit, we make a conscious decision to reflect God or put our flesh on display. And these are not always these big magnanimous decisions that we make, but it's the culmination of these little itty bitty decisions we make every single day. Whether we will tell the truth and reflect God or we will live the lie that we live. Listen, there are two distinct fights going on here in all of us, specifically believers. Because we are in the likeness of God and also in the likeness of sinful man. There is the war of image going on in us. Now, for all redeemed man, there is the fight to reflect and display God. But there is also a desire. Not just the temptation. But there is the desire of our sin nature. There is the desire to fulfill our sin nature. And it has been passed down to us through all of creation. See, when Seth is born to Adam, he receives portions of Adam's genetic makeup. Good and bad. He is in his image because he is his son. Now, when we have children... They are little reflections of our old sinful selves. They absolutely are. Kristen says it all the time about Elliot. She just carried him. But he is a little sinful me. And he is. That is because he was procreated in my likeness and in my image. And everything that I was apart from Jesus Christ. And that's Elliot. All bought up in a little bitty two-year-old. See, I'm, I, however, as imperfect guy as I am, and I am, but I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. He has pulled me out of my sinfulness. And so all of those characteristics, guess what? They still lie and rest in my flesh, but it is the spirit of God in me who is waging this war, even when I don't really want to fight the war. See, in us, there must be this constant fight of images going on. And if you are a Christian, more often than not, the Holy Spirit should win out. See, the reality is, while we are images of God, we are broken, incomplete images, mirrors made in the image of God. But there is hope. And our hope is important. Number two, we are becoming better reflections. We are becoming better reflections. Many times we simply start, stop short when it comes to the notion that we are made in the image and the likeness of God, which we are. But there is so much more depth to this notion. See, when Jesus comes, we see that Adam was a type. That's what scripture says. But Adam wasn't sufficient. See, Adam was not only created in the image of God in his likeness, but God made him and formed him. And then he gave him his breath of life. There is just a closeness that Adam has with God, even in his humanness. God is glorified in making him. So much so that he gave them dominion over everything in creation in order to subdue it. 
Man was given a hierarchy over all of creation because there is a unique relationship between God and man. Inasmuch as being made into the image of God is about how we are made, being made in the image of God is also about why we are made. It's not just that we were made in his image. It was why he made us in his image. See, simply put, God made us in his image so that we would reflect his image. He made us so that we would glorify him. What glorifies God? That's easy. Perfect obedience to his law. That's what most glorifies God. Now, everyone in this room knows not a single person in this room has ever perfectly obeyed the law of God. Now, when we again look at this with hindsight, this point should be like 2020 clear to you. There is but one man who was in the image of the invisible God who perfectly obeyed the law of God. And that man is none other than Jesus Christ. With Christ, however, he came in the full, unmistakable deity of God. See, Jesus makes this point clear for us over and over again in Scripture. He came to do one thing, and that was to fulfill the will of his Father. Why is he the exact imprint of God? Why does he display the radiance of God? One, because he was God in the flesh, but he was perfectly obedient in the law of God. He perfectly reflected God. See, because Adam marred the image of God, Jesus Christ came to put on display for the world the full deity and image of God. And the righteousness we lost in Adam was brought to us through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so it means that if we are seeking to become better reflections of God, we must be being conformed into the image of Christ. See, many of us realize that we are made in the likeness of God, but we are reflecting the image of Adam. And when we go through things, when we wrestle with sin, we are wrestling in a way that points us back to where our sin nature originated. But when we go through the things we go through, when sin tempts us, it should push us and conform us to the image of Christ. See, when his own family comes to Christ and they say, let us in the room, let us get to our brother, let us get to my son, says Mary. He says, no. The people who do the will of my father, those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. That's my mother. The people who follow my father are the people who are closest related to me. How are we being conformed into the image of God? We are using less of ourselves and more of him. When we make decisions, we are using less of ourselves and more of him. And he is shaping us and molding us and manipulating us into the intended image, not the distorted image. Because 
Jesus was perfectly obedient. There is no sin, no trace of wrongdoing, not an evil thought that ever came into his mind. So it pleased the father to crucify him for our sins because in him there was no sin. He was the perfect image of God. See, that's the catch, I think. We think that being conformed to the image of Christ is a matter of doing or being. But the fact is that he did and he is. See, in the garden, the relationship was fractured. We are now poor reflections of him. And in order to be conformed into his image and reflect him better, our relationship must be restored. That's why I hate that song. Let's get back to eat and live on time. No, we don't. We don't need to get back to eating. I'm trying to get to heaven. Because the Bible says, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. That place that he's prepared is better than the place that was. Sin corrupted that place. But the Bible tells us in heaven there is no sin. There is no darkness. There is no crying. There is no sickness. There are no tears. There is perfect harmony with God. I don't need to get back to Eden. I'm trying to get to heaven. See, the heart of why idolatry is such an offense to God is because we have been crafted and formed in his image. There is one man, Jesus Christ, who reflected him perfectly, and he alone is to be worshipped. We, however, are God's greatest creation. Now, I know somebody said, wait a minute, well, Jesus, Jesus is not a creation. Jesus is God in the flesh. He wasn't created by God. The Bible tells us that he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which means there is no time that he could actually be created since he is the full deity of God. So we humans, man, is the full deity creation of God. There you go. All right. He is to be worshipped. We, however, are God's greatest creation. How dare we worship any image, any creation that isn't God? But we do it all the time. We worship what we wear. We worship what we drive, where we live, where we work, what our bank account says. We serve those things more than we serve God. And it is idolatry because none of those things truly reflect the goodness and the glory of God. You do. We must appreciate and revere God in all his glory, knowing how intimate this relationship is with him that we have. With that, we must see the great depths of that image, in intimacy. And that brings us to our third point today. God breathed creation. God breathed creation. We see that God breathed. He has been assigned. Human characteristics. God breathes? That doesn't make sense. We've already talked about the fact that he is a spirit. So why would God need to breathe? He didn't. He didn't need to. But he did. And when he breathed, the Bible says that he breathed the breath of life into man. Now, the breath of life is translated from the Hebrew as the same word that is used for spirit. 
He breathed the spirit into him and he became a living being. That is the essence of all mankind. We have his breath. God himself has breathed the spirit of life in all of us. There is a relationship that we have that no other creation has with him. Now that's pretty remarkable because we have these apps that monitors the baby's progress as the baby gets older. And two weeks ago, I look at these videos all the time just to see how the baby is growing and, and going further. And in the video two weeks ago, it said that the baby has been breathing. But the baby is breathing in amniotic fluid. Yet, the baby is breathing. I'm going to make a point here. If that baby is able to breathe, guess what that baby has been given? The breath of life. Now, you make any political assertions you need to about that point. All I'm saying is that we cannot determine when the breath of life enters anybody. But when the breath of life enters them, they are in the image of God. And how dare we do anything to destroy that image? All right. That's why when the Bible tells us in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Now, the word that is used for breath, we don't understand it because it's different in Hebrew. It's actually a phrasing. And it doesn't literally mean everything that breathes, but it means everything that has received breath. Let it praise the Lord. That means if you have received breath, that means you are made in the likeness and the image of God. You are a human being. And every time you inhale and exhale, you are testifying of the glory and the goodness of God because he gave you that breath. Every time that little baby in the womb of my wife inhales and exhales, it is screaming, thank you, God, for giving me life today. Same way with us. It is a reference to all of us who have been given his breath, who have been given the spirit, who have been made in his image. Job 33 and 4 says it like this so beautifully. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. It doesn't say it gave me life. It gives me life. Because every morning when we, God has given us life again. He has held us together by his breath. See, even in the womb, we are singing praises to God with every inhale and exhale. And I hope you can see this. God created the expansive universe and creates it at a distance. He speaks them into existence, but with us. He forms us in his likeness and in his image. This is why we can say things like we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created every person in this room with intent and with purpose. And he created you with the intent and the purpose to mirror him and to reflect him and to glorify him. I'm here to tell you that all of your life will be meaningless unless when people see you, they see him. 
Now, as beautiful as all of this seems, and it is, it is very beautiful. We must be reminded that everybody in this room, our lives will end up one of two ways. We will either stand before God in total rejection and despondence, knowing we never truly reflected him in this life. Or we will see the veil come down, the mirror will be removed, and we will finally see face to face the glory of God unveiled by humanity, and he will accept us because we'll be like him. So let me close with this. Why does it please science to say that we evolved from apes or the new thing is whales or any other creature? Well, there are several reasons. Think about what animals are. Animals are driven by their wheels and their wheels are driven merely on the basic Basics of instinct and desire. See, anybody who's had a pet before knows that you have to train that pet because when you have a pet in the house, it just does what it wills. When it needs to urinate and instinct leads it to do that, that's what it does. In the wild, when animals mate, there is no consenting process. They just mate. Because they're driven by their instinct. They're driven by their desire. Now, what happens is humanity looks at the animals and thinks, hmm, what freedom my cat has because my cat doesn't do anything. I have to feed the cat. I take care of the cat. But the cat gets to poop where it wants to do. It gets to sleep all day long. The cat eats when it wants to eat. The cat sleeps when it wants to eat. Sleep. Cat mates when it wants to mate. Humanity looks at the animals and says, Ah, I don't have the freedom that the animals do. And so, we think, man, some life they must have. But see, the problem is, is that the animals don't have free will either. See, we think they have free will. But they don't. Because when that animal is hungry, it has to kill to eat. When it has to mate, it has to mate. There is no conscious morality that says, no, I'm not going to do this. It is driven merely by its instincts. See, what happens with humanity is humanity knows that we all have these evil cravings and desires in us. And what we want to be able to do is fulfill all those cravings and desires and lusts apart from an almighty, all-righteous judge who will judge our lives at the end of our lives. And so to rationalize that, we have to put a thin veil in between man and beast. So that we can get away with all our deepest, darkest inhibitions. And so the way I can get away with being depraved is, you know what? But I'm not that far off from a monkey. And I want to be able to get away with all these evil desires in my heart. And so if I act on them, just remember, I'm just a man evolved from a monkey. See, 
they want to be able to do all of this without any more judge that would judge their lives. But see, the gospel creates a problem. And this is the problem it creates. Jesus, for 33 years, came into the world clothed in flesh and was able to conquer every single instinct of the flesh. There wasn't a single impure thought in his mind. There was no inclination of wrongdoing in him at all. Why is this such a problem for evolutionists? Because when Jesus came and lived the perfect life, he has now imputed his righteousness and his spirit onto us as Christians. And now the only way we are able to save all those instincts is because of his righteousness and his spirit. See, when the world hears this, they say, well, no one can live a moral and righteous life. It's impossible. And they're correct, by the way. No one can live a moral and righteous life. Jesus even said that. When describing what salvation was to those who were around him, they said, well, who can be saved? And Jesus responded with man. Nobody. It's impossible. But with God. All things are possible. So as I close, please hear this. Within yourself, there are these two images that we are born bearing. That is to be in the image of Christ or in the image of Adam, our sinful flesh. Apart from him, Apart from him, we are powerless to be truly conformed into that perfect image of Christ. Without him, we die as broken, fractured, and distorted reflections of God. But if we commit our lives into his hands and to his care, one day we will see the full glory of God. And these words will, run, will reign true. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. What a blessed hope. We are made in his image. We are being shaped into his image. And one day we will truly see ourselves when we see him. It almost brings tears to your eyes to know the great majesty, the wonder, and the splendor of God. How great is our God. Let's pray.